Welcome to Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup. Here's a look at some of our Caribbean headlines for today. United States Supreme Court hears oral arguments in case for economic justice, political equality, and racial equity for Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico bankruptcy nears end as debt plan goes up for approval. Guyana wants up to 54 billion U.S. dollars annually for forest services. Caribbean Enterprise Inc.'s deal at Fort China International Import Expo. And 10% of student population at Virgin Islands Public Schools will undergo monthly PCR COVID-19 testing. These and other stories on today's Pulse of the Caribbean, Caribbean News Roundup for Tuesday, November 9th. We start a report today with a look at the U.S. Supreme Court hearing for economic justice, political equality, and racial equity for Puerto Rico. Demo reports that today the United States Supreme Court will hear oral arguments in a case that has great relevance for efforts to build an inclusive multiracial democracy. In the United States versus Valero Madero, the Supreme Court will consider whether the United States government's denial of monthly financial assistance to certain low-income residents of Puerto Rico via the Constitution. Jose Luis Valero Madero, a Puerto Rican-born American citizen, brought the case after the government denied his access to Supplemental Social Security, SSI, when he moved back to Puerto Rico, despite the fact that he'd been eligible for benefits while he lived in New York. Two lower courts, the District Court and the Circuit Court, ruled in Mr. Valero Madero's favor, finding that the U.S. government exclusion of people in Puerto Rico from the Supplemental Security Income Benefits violates the equal protection component of the Fifth Amendment's guarantee of due process. The U.S. Congress created the Supplemental Security Income Program in 1972 to provide cash benefits to low-income people who are elderly and or live with disabilities. SSI benefits are often a lifeline for people who have limited or no ability to work or no other means to generate income. While the residents of all 50 states, Washington, D.C., and the Northern Mariana Islands enjoy SSI benefits, residents of Puerto Rico and three other U.S. territories, the vast majority of whom are people of color, do not. This case represents an important question for those fighting for an inclusive democracy. The people of Puerto Rico, Guam, the United States Virgin Islands, American Samoa, and the Northern Mariana Islands could not vote for or against the member of Congress who passed a bill creating the SSI program benefits that excludes most of them, nor could they elect President Nixon who signed it. To date, with no voting representation in Congress and no meaningful vote for president, they are subject to the edicts of the federal government in which they have no say. Reuters reports that on Monday, the federally appointed board tasked with overseeing Puerto Rico's bankruptcy-like case kicked off a multi-day hearing on its proposed plan to restructure the island's debt and revance its economy. 
The Financial Oversight Board is seeking a ruling from U.S. District Judge Laura Taylor Swain, who sits on both the Manhattan and San Juan federal courts, approving the plan at the conclusion of the hearing, which is currently slated to last 10 days. A favorable ruling will allow the board to wrap up the island's Title III process after more than four years of litigation and negotiations with the Commonwealth's government and various groups of creditors, which has resulted in nearly $1 billion in legal fees. Under the proposed plan, Puerto Rico would reduce $33 billion in bonds and other debts to $7.4 billion. Pensions, which have been controversial during the case, will not be cut according to the board. However, the plan freezes defined benefits for current teachers and judges and shifts them to defined contribution pension plans. While the board has struck a deal with groups of bondholders and the Puerto Rican government to secure their support for the plan, others remain opposed, including a teacher's union and some retail bondholders. The plan approval hearing almost didn't happen after the board clashed with the Puerto Rico Senate over a bill that authorizes the issuance of new bonds, but the sides resolved that dispute in late October. When the proceedings resume today, Swain will hear from 25 members of the public selected randomly to share their views on the proposed plan. Reuters News reports that Guyana's head of state, President Arfan Ali, and Vice President Dr. Bharat Jadio have in recent months and weeks been making a case for a carbon market for countries such as Guyana to be paid for its forest services provided to the world in the form of sequestering carbon emissions from the atmosphere. To this end, the administration believes that Guyana's forests alone provide value that is estimated to range between 40 to 54 billion U.S. dollars annually. Yet, this value is not recognized in monetary terms, and by contrast, jobs and economic value can be generated by clearing forests for agriculture, mining, infrastructure, and other uses. These assertions are laid out in the administration's latest version of its Low Carbon Development Strategy 2030, which aims to build on its predecessor's policy document. According to the document, since made public for public consultations, this is a global problem and one of the reasons that the world's tropical forests are worth more dead than alive and forest areas that are the size of Greece disappear each year, causing about 16% of global greenhouse gas emissions. To this end, the expanded low carbon development strategies outlines that Guyana has the second highest percentage of forest cover on Earth and is working with partners to sustain 99.5% of that forest while building the foundation for a new low carbon ecosystem economy. It was 
noted that the expected opportunity to access a market mechanism for forest climate services and other ecosystem services will enable Guyana to store 19.5 billion tons of carbon dioxide equivalent and pointed out that the world emits about 50 billion tons a year. At the same time, Guyana can grow its economy five-fold over 20 years and keep energy emissions flat, invest in a meridian, hinterland, and sustainability planning, protect the coast and the hinterland from climate change, create jobs, and integrate Guyana's economy with its neighbors, the documents add. As it relates to forest climate services and other ecosystem services, the report outlines that from early 2022, there is a strong possibility that Guyana can access market-based mechanisms for forest climate services that include private as well as international public sector financing. It notes this will enable a pathway to transition from existing Guyana-Norway partnership and increase the value of sustainably managing Guyana's forests. Guyana's forest sector currently accounts for approximately 40 million to 60 million U.S. dollars in export value annually and employs over 20,000 persons. Bahamanews.net reports that First Caribbean Marketing Company, an enterprise from the Republic of Trinidad and Tobago, signed a business contract worth $46,000 U.S. at the ongoing Fort China International Expo on Monday. It is the first company from the island country in the Caribbean to participate in the China International Import Expo. Special delicacies from Trinidad and Tobago, including rum, chili sauce, seasoning, chocolate, confectionery, and coconut oil, have been put on display at the expo, said Huang Jinming a representative of the Caribbean enterprise. Thanks to the efforts of the government of China and Trinidad and Tobago, as well as our Chinese partners, we could jump on to the Expo bandwagon in a very short time. The Chinese market is so huge, and we believe that more and more enterprises from Trinidad and Tobago will come to China in the future, Huang said. Adrian Thomas, from the Embassy of Trinidad and Tobago in China said that in 2018, the country participated in the Expo as a national pavilion. Thomas added that industries from Trinidad and Tobago have natural links with the Chinese market, and the participation of the Expo from Trinidad and Tobago in this year's Expo is the first step of the country into the Chinese market. This event is critical not only for firms to enter and expand into the Chinese market, but also for government representatives, export promoters, innovators, and business people to exchange ideas and experiences, negotiate deals and new opportunities, and discover new consumer and markets across the globe, said Paula Gupi-Skoom, Minister of Trade and Industry for Trinidad and Tobago who watched the contract signing via live stream. The Fort China International Import Expo, scheduled from November 5th to 10th 
in Shanghai has attracted nearly 3,000 companies from 127 countries and regions, including 33 least developed countries. The annual fair has become a significant platform for foreign companies to boost exports to the massive Chinese market. The Virgin Islands Consortium reports that the U.S. Virgin Islands Department of Education, as part of its surveillance among student population, will require parents to sign a one-time parental consent form for monthly random COVID-19 testing that will begin in December. As of December 2021, 10% of the student population will be randomly tested for COVID-19 as a part of a surveillance. Test. Victor Sum III, Assistant Department of Education Commissioner, said in a news conference on Monday. The U.S. Virgin Islands is preparing for the reopening of in-person learning at public schools in January 2022. Mr. Soem said his office has been working steadfastly with school nurses since April 2021 on student testing for COVID-19. Students, he said, will have to undergo both antigen testing and PCR. Through the school system, and those who do not wish to use the school service will have to present a negative PCR from an approved medical facility. The department has successfully partnered with the Department of Health and Infinity Empowering, a U.S. Department of Health contractor, to train school nurses for testing students, according to Mr. Sum. The antigen test results will be known in 15 minutes and will not require laboratory analysis as the PCR. Mr. Soom further disclosed that the vaccination rate in the St. Thomas St. John District for the Department of Education employees stand at 49.81 percent. In the St. Croix District, it is at 46.86 percent. The territory-wide total for Department of Education employees stood at 48.31 percent as of Monday. Department of Education will soon be launching a new vaccination campaign, and the focus will be on students 12 to 18. Despite the increase in vaccination among education employees, protocols like face masks is now part of school uniform and must be worn at school, school events, and on school buses. And finally, St. Kitts Nevis Observer reports that St. Kitts and Nevis continue to attract strong international media coverage in key source markets to ensure that the islands remain on the radar when people are planning their long-haul vacations. In the most recent article, the Federation. Is featured among 14 other destinations in the National Geographic Travelers UK edition in December 2021. The article is entitled "The Caribbean: Discover Cultures, Creatures, and Cuisines on 14 of the Region's Most Memorable Islands." Is penned by award-winning travel writer and photographer Nigel Tisdall, who is based in London. This has been your Pulse of the Caribbean Caribbean News Roundup for Tuesday, November 9th. I'm Keisha Wallace. For more Caribbean news stories and information, visit us online at pulseofthecaribbean.com. Follow us on Facebook.